and you're looking at your four quartiles, your bottom, your middle bottom, your, your mid-level, and then your top. And you're saying, how can I move the bottom level up to the next tier? And then and that third tier up to the fourth tier. And I'm always coaching them and helping them and saying, what can we do to help get you there? And that takes deep uh, conversations with people and really analyzing their business and saying, hey, listen, let's take a look at where you're at, where you're going. What, what do you need specific help with? Is it a listing presentation? Is it a buyer's presentation? Do you need accountability? What, it, what does it happen to be? You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 357 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. And uh, today, we're going to go back out to the Pacific Northwest, one of my favorite areas of the country. And we're going to talk to Jim Remley. Jim is with John L. Scott in Oregon. He's a coach, a speaker, a Real Trends Top 500 broker, just an amazing story, uh, author. It goes on and on. Uh, he's a, uh, just great stuff. Uh, and he's going to drop a lot of important information, I think, for anybody out there that's in the recruiting side of things, if you're a broker owner or if you're a team leader, you want to listen in. So let's get this thing started. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, super excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, you know, I had the opportunity to kind of uh, do a little research uh, and wow, you've done some really cool stuff over the last, I'm going to say uh, 25, 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. Thank you. The other, the, the, the way I start my podcast every single time, uh, those that listen know it is I like to find out about you let's start out how you know where you grew up and where you you know kind of that that what's that experience you had growing up and it looks like oregon is where you were born and raised am i right i was born in long beach california but my family were hippies and uh they came up to oregon and the hippie kind of train and uh they landed in a little town called roseburg oregon which is kind of in the middle of the state and I grew up there. Um, tw- you know, it's, it's a typical, very small town, 25,000 uh, population. And, uh, you know, very, very much a uh, typical town in, in America, kind of circa America, right? Right, right. And so I, I would guess um, that train you talk about, I, I grew up in San Diego myself. Yeah. There were a lot of people in the 80s making this mass exodus for for the Pacific Northwest, right? Yeah. So that you're, you're, this is what you're talking about with the train. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Not a literal train, but a, yeah. <laughs> a train of people coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of people. In fact, there were, I think, I think the locals up there were getting not upset, but like, hey, wait, what's going on here? This is oh, yeah. changing pricing of housing and all kinds of stuff, right? Right. Yeah. There was a, definitely a backlash. And, you know, now I think most people that live here are transplants, but back then there was more of a backlash. Right. Uh, so let's, I think when people think of Oregon, the first thought is Portland because that's, you mm-hmm. know, the big city that's, you know, where everything kind of revolves around. It feels like, but however, you know, you're in Southern Oregon. Now you're in the Grants Pass, um, Medford, Medford. area. Yeah, yeah. Medford, Ashland. Yeah. Right over the border of California. Okay. Yep. Just North of the border. So t- how would you explain that to somebody who's never been there? Has never been to that <laughs> part of Oregon? What, what would we find? Well, I w- first I would say uh, that for the rest of us that don't live in Portland, we we don't love the association with Portland. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, you know, the rest of the state is actually pretty conservative folks that live um, a very, con- you know, I wouldn't say conservative, but I should say more of a normal lifestyle, not yeah. what you're seeing on the news in Portland, right? Right. So um, when you look at that, 
what's on the news, it's totally the antithesis of what you see in the 99% of Oregon. So uh, we're, you know, uh, it's just an interesting dichotomy there, but that's the truth of it. It's, it's a very rural lifestyle and people love it. And it's um, very much the lifestyle of what you'd expect the Pacific Northwest to look like. How, how big is Medford? Medford is a population base of about 80,000. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a little bit bigger, but not huge for sure. Yeah. I have to share a story. I, my wife and I, uh, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was my girlfriend. We drove up to Canada, to Vancouver for the World's Fair. And on the way back, we decided to come down the entire coast. And so you would know that what that route looks like, yeah, right? Sure. You start right. there. And one of the little communities we traveled through is called Gold Beach, Oregon, right? Yeah. Not yeah. too far from you. I, I yeah, that's think. right. Yep. Okay. And so as we're headed down with Highway <laughs> 1 or whatever we were going to call it at that time, uh, the, there was a big giant big giant sign for a pancake breakfast and a fire truck and a couple firefighters that wouldn't let you pass. They said, you're going the wrong way. Go this way to the breakfast. (laughs) You're having breakfast. So we did, we turned left and we went down this road into a little parking area and had the best uh, pancake breakfast I've ever had with the gold beach fire department and a whole bunch of locals. And it was just a great time. So for me, that's, that's Oregon, right? It is Oregon. That's exactly Oregon. That and the Tillamook County fair that we went to one year. That was the same on that same trip. I take it back. It was the same trip we stopped. And uh, it was just, it was just so cool. See, cause I, you know, I grew up in San Diego, which is a little bigger, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, So it was really nice to see that small town uh, life uh, in the, in the, in South of Oregon. So anyways, good, good. So let's, let's get to the, the, the crux of the, of the conversation here. And you, you got into real estate really young. Right. Because generally, you know, um, we're going to talk about recruiting and some other things. You know that it's the second and third careers for the majority of people you talk to. Absolutely. But I think I think I read somewhere you were 19 when you got into real estate. Let's talk about that. Well, my uh, my buddy, uh, his dad owned a real estate company and uh, he said, you know, let's let's go get our real estate license. And at the time I had. I got, I barely graduated high school <laughs> and I had ended up working in a lumber mill. And like most kids in, in Oregon, we worked in lumber mills. So I was working the graveyard shift in a lumber mill. And uh, I was also going to college at the same time. Um, actually ended up flunking out of college because I couldn't work graveyard and go to school at the same time. It wasn't my constitution, but he said, let's get a real estate license. So I, I went and studied. I finished. He didn't. <laughs> I did not go to work for his dad, but I did go to work for the first company I drove by after I got my letter in the, in the mail, which was Century 21. And so I was 19 at the time. And I uh, just went in and uh, not knowing anything about anything, just the thought I was going to come in and, you know, crush it. <laughs> kid, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I would guess it was kind of lucky it was Century 21, at least, right? Because for a new agent, you know, mm-hmm. they were already in the mode of uh, education, training. I mean, they were kind of a great place to start. Did How long did you stay there? I was with C21 for five years. Okay. I uh, was fortunate. I, I struggled my six, first six months um, getting my feet under me, but I was smart in the fact that I, I did go to all the classes that they offered. Yeah. And I did read a lot of books. I attended a lot of seminars and I just started to take a lot of notes and, and kind of figure out my own way. And after that first initial six months of struggle, my next year in the business, I took 150 listings <laughs> and got listed in the top 1% of the nation. Wow. Um, Wow. So, I got to know which, is there a special book in there that helped with that? Which book? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of them. You know, one of the, my favorite authors at the time back then was 
Hopkins, um, oh, Tom, Hopkins. Yeah, Tom right. Hopkins, Art yeah. of the Sale, which was a fantastic book. Yeah. Um, but a lot of those things don't apply today. So the, the mark, the, the world of sales has changed dramatically since yep. the early, uh, the late eighties, early nineties. Now we're, now we're selling it a completely different way, but at the time it was very, very effective. And I used a lot of those strategies, but you know, I did learn about for sale owners and expired listings and working a sphere of influence and farming, um, from other mentors that I worked with. And I dove deep into those uh, areas and, and created a lot of success there. What well, so at the age of 2021, 20, you know what you're doing now. You're, you're enjoying the career you've chosen that path, you know, and I think it's such a massive advantage to know that early that that's going to be what you're going to do as opposed yeah. to the, the people that come in later. Um, but I, and then it, at the age of 24, you make the biggest step. You say, <laughs> ah, I'm going to have my own brokerage. Yes. Yeah. So was there a mentor? Was there some help? Was there, how did that come about, especially at that age? Well, what happened was uh, me and a buddy uh, started working together. Um, and there's a backstory behind that. Beca- we became one of the, the first teams in Oregon, really. It was me, me and him and another, and our assistant. Um, and when we... Uh, started to look at our production level, we recognized pretty quickly that we were, if we had moved ourselves out of our own office, we were like number two in the, in the county wow. <laughs> at, our, at our production level, right? Mm-hmm. So we're like, well, maybe we should just do that. Maybe we should move our, ourselves out of our office and be our own office. Um, and so we found a, a gal that was thinking about selling her little company and we bought her company <laughs> and all the agents left and it was just me and him. <laughs> 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 and our assistant, uh, and then we started to, you know, start to started to grow from there. I will say, you know, over the next fifteen years, um, we grew that from, you know, basically nothing to seventeen offices, and became the the largest independent company in Oregon. I, I want to know what it's like for a twenty four year old Jim to talk to someone in their forties or fifties and try to explain to them why you were the brokerage and needed to come work for. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, but, but I think what it comes down to, whether it's me at a listing appointment at 19, my yeah. first year okay. trying to talk uh, a retired couple in a listing with me, which, you know, I look like I might be there old enough to be their grandkid, maybe, right. or whether it's trying to talk to somebody you're trying to recruit, it's the same thing. Yeah. And that is what, we, what we're really selling is a vision of what we can do for you as a human being. And so it's building a relationship with you on the other side of the fence and saying, hey, listen, here's what I think I can do to help you with your goals. It's not about me. It's about what I can do for you. And I, I truly believe that I can help you. And I'm going to work harder than anybody else to, to make that dream a reality. Yeah. What I, my advantage as an agent talking to potential agents was I had done it and I was successful. And I would always use that as a competitive wedge and say, I'm not a broker that hasn't done it. I'm somebody that's in the field doing it every day. That's a huge difference between me and maybe where you're at now. So I would use that as an advantage too, uh, as a competing broker at the time. But I will say that my number one mistake, which which I think is as, as important as our successes as our mistakes, right? My mistake was for the first five years we had that company, I thought to myself, because I was a little intimidated by recruiting experienced agents, although I did. Um, my number one goal was to recruit new agents because I thought to myself egotistically that I could bring a new agent in and help them create the same level of success that I did. Mm. So I started doing recruiting seminars every month, which I did for five years straight, where I'd bring in, I'd do advertising, rent a hotel room, do a whole song and dance for 90 minutes, get people excited about getting a real estate license, help them find the school, 
and then help them get through the school, get them to the other side. And, you know, it was a weaning process. You know, you'd have 50 people in the room. You might get two at the end yep. that would actually come to work for you. But what I found <laughs> and what I teach now was the mistake that I made is I would end up with this basically you know, group of people that I didn't know it at the time, but they had an 86% attrition rate. So 86% of the people that end up in the business end up out of the business two years later. Yep. So as a broker, I'm investing all this time and energy into these people that are eight to nine times out of, out of 10 are not going to make it in the business. And it wasn't about me being a good or bad trainer. It was just about them as human beings not being up to the task. Right. So then I eventually pivoted and said, wait a second, we've got to start recruiting experienced agents. And we, yeah. we took a whole different tactic. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. I think that's very, yeah. that's very cool. That's going to be a, a great takeaway for a lot of people listening to the, to the podcast. Um, we, you're, you're with John L. Scott now, which is a big, um, I don't, they're not independent, they're a regional, big regional, regional right? Yeah. Up in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Um, how did you come to partner with them? So what happened is I grew this office to 17 offices, mm -hmm. and then I uh, got recruited to start teaching for the National Association of Realtors, which I did for many years. I tied all the designation programs. And then uh, well, I was passionate about teaching, and I'm coaching and that kind of thing. So I did that, uh, um, and I sold my interest in my company to my partner when I started to do that. Um, and then I, I got recruited to come down and help another guy who had just opened a company, um, but he had bought this company, this John L. Scott company uh, in Medford. And he came down and said, Jim, I want you to come down and just consult with me about how I can grow this company because I know you've grown companies. I said, I'll come down and consult with you, but I'm not going to go work for you. Well, he was a good recruiter. He brought me down, offered me a ton of money and said, Jim, we want you to stay here. So we pulled the trigger and moved down. A little bit of a short, long story on that is... Um, he had bought the company in the, in the Great Recession, 2008, and it was suffering. He had gone from he had gotten all the way down to 38 agents when I joined, and two agents left <laughs> the weekend I joined. We were down to like 36 or 37 agents. We took that company, and we over the next 10 years went from 100 million dollars in business to 1.4 billion dollars in business. Top 500 companies in America, and we're, we're we're competing with companies that are in Chicago and Atlanta and New Jersey and New York, LA. Wow, and we're we're in a population base of 80,000. Right. Um. So we're you know we're crushing it at that level. That's that's how I got into this whole coaching gig. Is people have asked me how did you do it? Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Let's let's well, let's go down that path real quick with coaching. Um, you a long time ago. I mean, you think of, this is almost like in 2000. Yeah. When you started uh, kind of dabbling in, in the internet <laughs> yeah, yeah, with coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that was e real estate coach or e real estate coach.com. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so what was the, uh, I'm sure that site's changed over the years quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually looked at it yesterday and I'm like, Oh, this, this looks very cool. I, I like the way, I mean, it's a, it's a very um, professional, modern looking site. I can't even imagine what it looked like when it first came. <laughs> <laughs> I have a whole story about that too. <laughs> Go ahead, let's hear it. <laughs> so when I started my coaching platform, I thought I had this whole vision of how I wanted to lay out and I hired a, a, a somebody to actually design the website, sure. which you, mistake by the way anybody <laughs> listening don't ever do that that's a big big mistake yeah. i spent a hundred and fifty thousand dollars on building this website out and it completely failed i mean it was wow. a massive massive failure didn't make wow. a dollar on the site and then i found a, a platform that does all the same stuff for two thousand dollars a year by the way <laughs> uh, so anyway um yeah it's been gone through many iterations when i started i was completely focused on agent coaching Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my passion and, my, and what I've done for years. I've helped agents go from, you know, where they are to where they want to go. And I have one of the highest per agent productivity rates in the country where our average agent's doing about $6 million a year. 
which is on when you have 250 agents, that's pretty hard to do. Yep. Um, so people have come to me and said, how do you get to that high level? And it's through our coaching. And, we, and so I built that coaching platform to kind of replicate that for agents that wanted to tap in and say, hey, I want to be coached like Jim's coaching, but I can't go to work for Jim because I'm in New Jersey, right? Or I'm in Atlanta or I'm in you know, Florida or whatever, but I want, I want the coaching. So that's what I built it for. What it became now, as you said, an evolution is that now our primary focus, although we still coach a ton of agents, uh, way over a thousand agents we're coaching across the country. We still coach. Um, our main focus today is brokerage coaching. Wow. So we focus working on working with broker owners, office leaders, and team leaders to help them grow. And that's yeah. where my passion is now. Yeah, I, I like uh, the fact you you mentioned broker owners and team leaders in the same sentence. Yeah, yeah. Because it it really feels with the advent of different models in the real estate industry, right? I mean, yeah. we know what Glenn Sanford's doing and now Reels falling behind and Fathom. And there's a bunch of them out there that are seem so team specific. Like there really aren't any broker owners in those operations. Right. However, there are still a ton of broker owners. A team is going to be slightly different than a broker, right? There's yeah. not worried so much about some of those franchise things and all that good stuff. Well, what's interesting to me about teams and brokerages, and I've seen the whole evolution. I was one of the first teams, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. What teams are today is what brokerages were 30 years ago, mm-hmm. 40 years ago. So what a good team does today is that they provide systems and a platform for agents to thrive that work underneath the team umbrella. The difference between what a team does today, though, in many cases, is that a team, a good team leader does, is they provide leads and a a plan for achieving, for having leads. If I'm bringing my own leads, maybe I don't need to be part of your team, right? But if if you're giving me a guidance and coaching and a system and a platform for te- for leads to be handed to me or be given to me or delivered to me, this is the reason why I'm joining your team in most cases, right? Yeah. So this is the reason why a team leader can say, you're going to be on a 50-50 split or 60-40 split, and that team leader is now making a profit on every person that's there. What brokerages used to do 40 years ago when we had 50-50 splits you know, and yep. 60-40 splits, yep. now we don't do that anymore. Part of the reason of the shift, by the way, is the keys to the kingdom. So the keys to the kingdom used to hold, used to be held by brokerages and having listings, and they couldn't get to it through any other way than coming to the office. Then when MLSs came around and the internet came around, now now there's that whole change, the whole dynamic, right? Yeah. Yep. So that's the difference. Um, but I think the the interesting dichotomy, the, the challenge for brokerage owners is profit compression. So when you're a brokerage owner, and I'm, I coach a ton of brokerage owners, right? So profit compression means that the average brokerage owner is operating on a mar- margin of 1% to 5% if they're lucky. And there's very few of them that are at 7, 10, 7 to 10%, which I'm coaching to. I'm trying to get them to 10% plus. And I, we have, we've achieved that in many markets. Um, but when a 1% to 5% margin, you have, you have very little room for error. On the other hand, a team leader has a much bigger margin. Um, they're, they're more like a 10 to 20 to 30% margin. Yeah, you mentioned trying to coach them up to ten percent. I'm, I'm just this is kind of a natural lead in to what, what you mentioned earlier. Yeah, recruiting experienced producing agents is probably a key piece of getting that percentage up. Absolutely, number one. If yeah, you can't recruit, that, yeah. you you have to be. You know, people get this mi- mindset of what a brokerage owner is, and it's one of the first questions I ask in the seminars. What do you think your number one job is yeah. as a brokerage owner? And ninety no, percent of the time, they'll say, "Well, it's deal doctoring or it's problem solving." 
absolutely not. There's no deals to doctor and there's no problem solving to do unless you have agents working for you. (laughs) So it's recruiting and retention are the two number one priorities for top um, brokerage owners. Um, That's their number one job. Just like I I coach people and I say, listen, you're coaching your agents like a good brokerage owner is also a good coach. So you're coaching your agents to go out every day and prospect and lead generate and follow up and send thank you cards and do video and all the things you're coaching people to do. You have to be doing exactly the same thing as a brokerage owner leader, and you put the recruiting in front of that, right? It's a, you're doing the same thing on a recruiting standpoint. You, you talk about attracting agents, right? Versus chasing. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you, so can we talk about that process a little bit? Um, how that, how that really works, especially when you're dealing with experienced agents, Mm -hmm. right? Because I imagine it would be very easy to attract inexperienced agents. Just a thought, right? The ones you want working at your brokerage. How do you, how do you do that? That's a great question. So the the thing about experienced agents is they're often um, when I'm when you're first coaching a brokerage coaching student, they'll think, well, these people that are unrecruitable in my market, and, and people get this natural thought, like I can, they're, they're never going to leave. They've been there twenty years, thirty years, wherever they're at, at the other company, and then one day they do leave. And my question is always like, how many times did you talk to them? Did you have a conversation with them? Yeah. And the reason why they didn't come to work for you is because you thought they were unrecruitable, and they were recruitable. You just didn't have the guts to have the conversation with them, right? right? So the question mark then becomes, how do I attract these top-level agents? Like you're saying, t- attracting versus chasing. So my goal for my brokerage coaching students is I want them to be attracting, you know, and having people call them three to five times a month to come to work for me. Like, I'm an experienced agent. I know you're doing a great job. I want to I want to interview. That's my goal. But you don't get there automatically, Right. right? It's just like agents. Agents want to have three to five people calling them saying, listen, my house, you know, come show me a house. That happens over time. And it usually takes a couple of years of chasing, right? And here's the process that we we're building a company that attracts agents. It's multi-layered. But number one is you have to have a good agent productivity at your company now. So your agents have to be productive. Yep. You have to have a good, great reputation in the market. So if you've got some bad apples in there that are ruining your reputation every day of the week, they got to be fired. You have to have a great staff that are doing an exceptional job that you can get testimonials from your own agents about how great a job they're doing. Mm. You have to have world-class marketing. So your marketing has got to be as good or better than all your competitors in your market. You don't have to be big to do it. We have a lot of technology now that allows us to be small and still do it the same way. Mm-hmm. We have to have a differentiation or a niche that makes us unique in the market compared to our competitors. And we've got to have a good tech stack so that our tech stack is as good or better than our competitors. Um, and then number one, above all those things I just mentioned is you have to be likable and they have to have a relationship with you as the broker leader. Wow. So um, if they don't like you and they don't know you and they haven't gotten to know you, they're never going to come to work for you. You can have all the things stacked up behind that that I just mentioned and have yeah. it perfect and at a 10. If they don't like you. They don't know you. They're not going to come to work for you. So what I tell my folks is you got to look at yourself in a different way. You got to look at yourself as you are the owner of an NBA team, an NFL team, an NHL team. And what's that owner's job? Number one job is building his bench. Every day, everything he's thinking about is building that bench so he can win a championship. That's what your job is. Yeah. I I love the way you – it really does sound like you almost were talking about an agent dealing with their sphere. I mean, it's just, exactly. it's, it's, it's not it's a huge difference, <laughs> but, but, I, but I, it's, I'm, I'm sure there are these aha moments in your, you're doing a one-on-one or you're in a webinar where people are just sitting there just going, dope, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Those moments that, that happened to all of us. Um, that's, yeah, I, 
I love talking tech a lot. You know, I, I work for Rate My Agent, so it's what I do now. And I, I, I'd love to hear with all that shiny object syndrome out there, it's just it's such a problem. And it, it's, I've seen that for two decades that I've been in the industry. Yeah. Um, let's, let's say you've got to give the top, what are the must things? Like there's these, these are, these have to be there. They, these are pieces of tech that must be in your brokerage. If you're going to be successful, like I'm trying to coach you, you got to have this stuff in place. What are those things? Um, today that for me, you would have to have every agent's got to have, you got to have a website platform for every agent. Okay. So when an agent comes to work for you, they got to have to be able to plug into a website. Yep. You have to have, which seems super small, but it's super important. You have to have a localized domain so that they have the domain that's under your company brand. It's so nice. crazy to me how many companies like start to coach and like everybody's Gmail, Yahoo, AOL, crazy thing. No, 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 no. We got one email for everybody, right? Yeah. Um, so those are two, two things. Um, I would say also um, a CRM for every agent of some kind that they have access to, whether they use it or not, it's a different story. Right. Um, and then I would say also home valuation tool that's automated so that they agents can plug in and, and put their clients on a home valuation platform of some kind. Like cloud CMA would be an example, something like mm -hmm. that. You also, of course, have to be uh, a paperless office. That's a given now. Yep. Um, so you got to pick your paperless platform. Um, those would be the main things just to kind of get you on kind of an even playing field for everybody at the, at the starting point. Side note, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of RPR, right? Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. So as a guy, I was I was at uh, the, in the Fidelity National Financial family at the yeah. time, and got access through a, a CEO of an MLS who loved me and got trained up on RPR and, and taught a lot of agents. Like the mobile app for RPR is right. mind blowingly good. Yes, you know, probably better than the MLSs. Most of the MLSs in the country. Great. Yet, yet the take rate is so low. Yeah. I'm just like, anyways, there's my, I'm, I'll get off my, my soapbox, but it sounds like you're of the same belief. It's I, I just was talking about NARRPR this morning on my coaching and I was talking about their platform for neighborhood analysis and neighborhood data yep. and how uh, that's such a great platform that nobody uses. So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Need help with it. Let me know. I love talking uh, RPR mobile app. <laughs> yes, for sure. So um, well, another thing then, so you've got, you know, you've got, you, you're helping these leaders, right? These broker yep. owners, these team leaders, you're helping them, you know, move up to that 10% or even higher. Part of it's got to be just getting more productivity out of what they've got there now. Right. So that yeah. it's a motivation, I think, is the way you like to talk about that. Well, you have to look at it as... Um, yeah, multi-tiered approach. But when you're recruiting people, you're obviously hopefully recruiting people that are as productive or more productive than your current agents, mm -hmm. right? So what's that sweet spot? For most of the offices, it's going to be recruiting people that are 2 to $10 million in production or higher mm -hmm. because your goal is to take them where they're at to help them move up to, if I'm at $2 million, I'll take you to $4 million. If you're at $4 million, I'm going to take you to $8 million. And then you're taking your own agents and you're quartiling it them on a regular basis. And you're looking at your four quartiles, your bottom, your middle bottom, your, your mid-level, and then your top. And you're saying, how can I move the bottom level up to the next tier? And then and that third tier up to the fourth tier. And I'm always coaching them and helping them and saying, what can we do to help you get you there? And that takes deep uh, conversations with people and really analyzing their business and saying, hey, listen, let's take a look at where you're at, where you're going. What, what do you need specific help with? Is it a listing presentation? Is it a buyer's presentation? Do you need accountability? What, it, what does it happen to be? And I will tell you, I use what I call the two Ps in my office. The two Ps when I'm talking to you as a new agent or an experienced agent, but primarily, especially new agents when I come in, I'll say, I measure you based on what I call the two Ps. It's either participation or performance. 
So participation means that I want to see you at office meetings. I want to see you at training events. I want to see you at coaching, accountability groups. I want to see you do an open houses. I want to see you engaged in the office. I want to see you participating with the company. Social nights, the whole thing. I want you to be completely immersed in this company. I want you to wake up, breathe, and sleep this company. Second is performance. I'm going to measure your performance. I'm also going to be watching that. But here's what here's what I don't want to see. I don't want to see a situation where you're not performing and you're not participating. I can deal with you not participating if you're performing. If you're out there crushing it and you don't have time, I get it. You're performing. But if you're not doing both, then you're not going to stay with this company. It's one right. or the other or both. I want you to do both. But that's where I went, my mat. You, are you good with that? And I'll say yes. I said, now I'm going to watch. So make sure you're good with it. And, yeah. and then we measure them that by that performance. I'll say, hey, I see you're not participating. And I know participation leads to performance. Yeah. So that's, that's how I measure people. Every now and then you probably, you probably run into somebody who's not experienced, but you just go, oh, this person has what it takes to be successful in this business. Yeah. Is there a certain, is it, is it like they come from a certain industry or is there something out there where you just kind of go, you know, oh, I should talk to this person because they were doing this in the past. Like I, I found that the, in this podcast, the number one gig that people had before they were a realtor, a lot of people were in hospitality, whether bartenders, servers, yeah. ho- hotel business, that sort of thing, where all they did was take care of customers, listen to customers, help customers. I is there, for you, is there something like that? Well, statistically, they say that nurses and teachers make the best realtors in the second profession because they're nurturing and they're, and they're education-based. So, you know, I think people that are have the ability to be um, educational in their approach, I think, can do very, very well and are patient, you know, that have yeah. a good patience. I think in our industry today, when you're looking at the next generation of realtors, millennial, millennials and Generation Z, they will have a natural advantage over maybe somebody my generation that maybe they didn't grow up with technology. And so the technology divide is going to be a big issue coming in the next, even right now, really five to 10 years, especially where you're going to have this group of people that have embraced social media and video. And then you have a group of people that won't. Mm -hmm. And the people that don't are just not going to make it. And I'll say that probably one more layer that's being added this year, which no one saw coming is AI. So the agents that are going to embrace AI and use it to scale their businesses and brokerages as well, brokerage owners that, that don't embrace AI uh, at scale are going to get left behind. There's just no question. And I'm like you, I'm a careful of shiny object syndrome. I think you can get on the bleeding edge of technology, not the cutting edge. You got to be very careful, yeah. but you certainly have to deploy it because it's, it, you're just not going to be able to compete. Yeah. I think, I think that average age of a realtor being in the mid fifties yeah. is going to quickly drop over the 100%. next five years. That'll be in the forties in a heartbeat. Yeah. I think right now you're going to see these, this, they, the NAR is already predicting another 200,000 agents leaving the industry in the next 12 months. So, and I say the vast majority of those people are people that can't keep up with technology that, you know, those are, those are the people that are maybe aging out a lot of them. They don't want to go through another down cycle. They don't want to face the technology change again, revolution again. They've already been through it a few times. You know, I think that's a a large part of it. Yeah. Jim, you've also written a few books. Um, I want to, I want to give you a chance to talk about that real quickly. Let's let's hear, you know, what, what they were about. And second, is that process fun or easy or difficult? I mean, what is smart behind that? Actually. <laughs> so I wrote uh, uh, Make Millions in Real Estate. I also wrote a book called Presentations That Make Millions in Real Estate. And then another one called uh, Sell Your Home in Any Market. They all did very well. Um, 
I will say that I was asked to continue writing more books for the publisher, Amicom, which is a great publisher and out of New York. Um, they're not self-published. They're all, you know, normally published books, um, but nothing wrong with self-published books either. Um, but the thing that I found was that you make about a dollar a book. <laughs> <laughs> and so and you figure it all out and, huh? and the time it takes to write a book uh for me uh was six months of eight hours a day for six months straight that's how long it takes me to write a book and i i wow. think i'm a pretty fast capable writer um but six months at a computer every day for for six months to make a dollar a book just didn't economically make sense to me I made money in other ways from seminars and webinars and other things I did, but um, I, I, I quickly found that I could monetize my my information in other ways on which much more profitable. <laughs> well, Jim, look, we've got to the part of the show now. We've gone right about the time I, I asked of you, and uh, but there's this this question that I've asked every guest since the first guest eight years ago, and that's this this very easy question. I think it's it's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? First piece of advice and the piece of advice I wish I would have uh, adhered to myself would have been starting a sphere of influence day one and started putting those people in a, a contact system of some kind and drip on them forever. If I had done that, my business as good as it was probably would have doubled or tripled. So that would be my recommendation. Yeah. I've had this conversation with thousands of agents where when it comes to a CRM or just a spreadsheet, whatever it is, yeah. that if, if you just did this one thing, if you just, if you, if you just called somebody, um, documented what you talked about and then scheduled the next call in two days, two weeks, two years, whatever. Yeah. And just did that over and over and over. You'd be so far ahead of every other agent. That's your business, right? Flag for next contact. Just keep doing it over and over. I agree. Yeah. They keep referring to those notes and go, how was that trip? Oh, how was that? It was, right. you just become part of their life. Yeah. Right. That's right. awesome. Jim, this has been great. I, um, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah. So they can head over to my, uh, real estate coaching company, which is E letter E like elephant real estate coach.com. I can sign up for a free discovery call where we spend 30 minutes together talking about your office and what you're doing or your team, uh, individual, individual agents and solo agents. We've got a ton of material over there as well. Yeah. yeah. This has been fantastic. I want to thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to The Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app.